Hi, I'm Grant Armstrong, and I get to serve as directing pastor here at St. John's United Methodist Church in Edwardsville, Illinois. We exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Our desire is to be a beacon of faith and service, focusing our passions and gifts to reflect Christ's love to the world. You are invited to join us each week at 9 a.m. for a time of traditional worship or at 11 a.m. for contemporary worship. Thanks for joining us for this online version of the sermon. This morning's scripture is from John chapter 15, verses 9 through 17. I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide in his slaves. Now you are my friends since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me. I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for, using my name. This is my command. Love each other. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I myself was 12 years old when I started watching The Wonder Years during the late 80s and early 90s. The show was a story told from the perspective of an adult Kevin Arnold looking back at his childhood from 1968 to 1973 with the benefit of 20 years of hindsight. If someone were to create a show today with a similar gap between the story happening then and the story being told in present time, it would chronicle the life of a person who was 12 years old in the year 2000. The plot described Kevin's family life, what it was like to grow up in a growing middle-class suburbia during that era. It touched on the tragedies that impacted families during the Vietnam War. It dealt with friendships and bonds that would be tested and strengthened. It dealt with young love, first kisses, and the turbulence of adolescent romance. And even though I was of a different era, the themes were human and they resonated with me, not as someone who is looking back at teenage years, but as someone who was going through it at the time. There are shows where the theme song becomes such a welcome part of the program, and this was one of them. We couldn't skip past it if we wanted to back in the day, but we also didn't want to. The opening notes blasted into the chorus of Joe Cocker's recording of With a Little Help from My Friends, and you knew you were on a journey that had to do with the joy, drama, and power of friendship. Unless you watched the Netflix version released in 2011, which apparently lets you know you were in for a cover version of joy, drama, and power because licensing music for streaming services is apparently sometimes very expensive. You got the picture, though. If these characters were going to get by... They were going to get by with a little help from their friends. Even though the concept for this month's sermon series was first put to paper last October, ever since March, this song has been running through my mind. This year so far has been painfully difficult for many, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. That's been true for a lot of us. There's been an increase in isolation for a number of people, and it's worse for those who aren't as accustomed to some of the technologies that fill the gaps for the rest of us. There have also been some sweet times. We've, in our family, celebrated birthdays, anniversaries, and a lot of other special moments in different ways. 
You remember back to the times of parades of teachers and friends cruising through neighborhoods with decorated cars and honking horns to mark whatever the cause was that needed celebrating. We've had to figure out what it means to be there for one another when we can't be there for one another in ways that were typical and familiar to us. I hope you found your friends have been present. and Maybe through the fellowship of the church also, you've been able to find connection during this time. For example, I had exactly one Zoom meeting before the COVID outbreak. Since March, it's become a little bit like a verb like Google did in the early aughts. That platform and others like it have not just been a great tool for businesses and organizations to use for meetings, but for the chance to connect with family and friends. I've got a covenant group that would typically meet once a month for accountability and encouragement, and maybe a little continuing education, and when we can no longer meet together to eat breakfast and drink way too much coffee, we've been meeting online, and maybe meeting at public parks with masks and distancing. Those types of connections have been a lifesaver for me, especially early on when it seemed like every day presented a new problem that needed an urgent solution. There was a lot of pressure on a lot of people. And once we got to the other side of that initial burst of adrenaline and heroism, I know I started to feel the weight of uncertainty, if nothing else, and maybe you did too. I don't think I would have come through that season as well if it weren't for the friends who figured out ways to connect and encourage during that time. I don't think any of us did it perfectly, but there was a lot of effort put into trying to encourage and spread some hope, and points were awarded for good intention in most cases. We count on friends to help us through the good times and the bad. We get to be friends for others through the highs and the lows. So who do we count on to give us what we need to be that kind of friend? And that leads us to our first lesson this morning. Abiding in Jesus' love is the source of the love and joy we share. Abiding in Jesus' love is the source of the love and joy we share. Christ is teaching his apostles, saying, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in his love. I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Judas had already left the room. That's important here. Judas left the room. Right after Jesus humbled himself by washing the feet of his closest followers and students, Judas got called out for his plan to betray Jesus, and he missed the teaching that followed. Teaching that spoke about the kingdom of our Heavenly Father that he's building in eternity teaching about the gift of peace that's coming with the Holy Spirit, teaching about abiding in Jesus and the life, the fullness of life we receive when we let our minds, movement, and moments be guided by a mystical connection that we hold with Jesus throughout our days, and hours, and years. Judas missed that message. Maybe it's because he was not in a position to hear it, it's not because it wasn't a message for him, because I really think that even Judas could have experienced redemption, but he didn't allow himself to. Cynicism, greed, and despair had fully taken over, and Jesus was sharing about how love thinks of oneself less, and Judas was on his way to collect his sack of silver for betraying the embodiment of perfect love. He missed the message. 
Because I really came into uh, an authentic faith in adulthood, I can remember a time when I wasn't spending time with Jesus at all. I wasn't sad or unhappy about it. I was blissful. I was modestly thoughtful in moral and relative humanistic terms, but my well of compassion was pretty shallow. When I was running out of steam, I was just out of steam. When empathy was failing me, I didn't have a source from which I could draw. When I reached limitations because I lacked insight and understanding, what I found within myself was regularly insufficient when it came to knowing, growing in kindness and character. It's not that I had nothing, but I simply didn't know what I was missing. What's different when we have a relationship with Christ? When we let Scripture renew our minds to plant hope in the place of cynicism, when we let prayer steady our hearts because we've been seen through the eyes of God, and we have divine insight for how to look upon others and the circumstances that face us throughout our day. When we face trials and hardships, and instead of finding ourselves at the end of our ropes, we instead find ourselves at the foot of the cross. What's different? There's a peace that comes to us that allows us to walk in faithfulness without fear. There's a gratitude that fills us with joy because the goodness of God proves to be more powerful than any of our circumstances. There's a divine strength within that endures, perseveres, and draws upon a compassion that's greater than the mass of the entire universe. There is a joy from knowing that we are loved with a matchless, relentless, and unconditional love. If you didn't wake up this morning knowing that God loves you, Make this your second wake-up call. Don't miss the lesson because you haven't yet experienced it. Ask God, is this kind of love for me? And I encourage you to do what Jesus instructs here. Sit with him. Linger with him. Abide with him. Sit with that question before God until you hear your yes. There is nobody listening or watching that God does not desire to fill with that love. It may take a minute to drown out the distracting noises and contradicting voices, but if we bother to take the time to sit with Jesus and hear of his love, not only will it bless our lives, it fills us up to love and serve others also. Don't miss the lesson. Spend the time with Jesus to receive it. Our second lesson this morning is this. God's kind of friendship is shown through self-giving love. God's kind of friendship is shown through self-giving love. Jesus continues, This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I have loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. I love to order stuff to come to my door. If there's one thing I have really embraced during this season, it's the delivery or curbside option for most purchasing. I can get a lot of items delivered to my house in two days. I can get groceries dropped off at my home by pressing buttons. I can get a meal from a local restaurant sent to my home in minutes. I can even get school or church delivered right to my computer. I absolutely love the convenience of this season, understanding that many people are putting themselves on the line to make it possible. And as a former pizza delivery guy and retail worker, I want to appreciate that. But I think there's... Another risk I run with all of the delivered right-to-me convenience, however, it's that I become so accustomed to getting things my way right away that I will reject and avoid any sort of personal inconvenience. The great majority of us aren't using these services because we're lazy. 
We're calling upon these options because there are a lot of other things that are really hard or unsafe, and we don't feel like everything needs to be. I just don't want to be blind to that risk that I face of avoiding every inconvenience. I think we're susceptible, though. Our U.S. American culture is focused these days a large part around the protection of individual liberties and, to some degree, the common good. These things aren't necessarily in conflict with each other. It's good for all of us when each of us is free. Still, our concern for the common good can often end when something is asked of us that might infringe upon our sense of liberty. If there's any doubt we have differing approaches to common good versus individual liberty, I'll gladly direct you to a number of debates on social media concerning free speech, the right to bear arms, or the wearing of masks. There are some topics that we have given idle status, in fact, and the reason we know they've reached that status is because we don't allow them to be challenged or questioned in our lives. These things we won't challenge, we certainly won't offer up willingly for the good of others. Put yourself in this moment with Jesus. Jesus, in this moment of instruction, is maybe 20 hours away from his death by crucifixion. Before he is executed, he'll go down Through a sham trial, he'll be beaten, whipped, insulted, stripped, a crown of thorns whacked upon his head, and after that, he'll haul across taller than his body through town and up a hill in full view of Jerusalem, where a sign above his dying body will proclaim Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews, in three languages. So every witness and passerby will know what a mockery this condemned man is. And he is telling his closest followers, his friends, that he is doing this all for their sake. And as he told them before, he's doing it willingly. In John chapter 10, verse 18, he says, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. For I have authority to lay it down when I want to and also to take it up again. For this is what my Father has commanded. What does love look like to those who follow Christ? It looks less like demanding our rights. It looks more like being poured out for the sake of others. It looks like being inconvenienced. It doesn't look like being abused. Jesus willingly took an undeserved wrath so that we would not have to. But it does look like we sacrifice in order to reflect that divine love. We don't have to take foolish risks, but we'll take some well-discerned risks. We'll give time that we didn't think we had. Resources that we didn't know we could do without, and love that we weren't sure we had within us. We do all this because that's our model in Christ. The church in general is most Christ-like when it's standing up or laying ourselves down for the well-being of others instead of making demands for ourselves. That church at its boldest is claiming the worth of the vulnerable. That's the church at its most loving. As writer Oswald Chambers describes it, we become like broken bread and poured out wine for the sake of reconciliation. I can't tell you what God will ask of you, but I can tell you that doing right doesn't always feel good. There's a difference many times between doing right and feeling good, isn't there? It didn't always feel good to wake up early on Sunday mornings on the one day that you might be able to sleep in to be able to volunteer, but it may have been right. It may actually cause some physical discomfort to build a ramp at someone's house. It might feel right. It may grieve us to delay a purchase of something we desire a little longer so that we might give a gift to UMCOR to help out those who have been in the paths of a devastating storm. 
That may not feel really good, but that doesn't mean it's not right. Jesus isn't prescribing that we all act like fools or doormats. Our Savior was almost killed in a couple of situations before this time of his crucifixion. During his wilderness temptation, he could have cast himself down from the peak of the temple, but he did not. It wasn't his time. He could have been thrown off the face of a mountain after his first sermon in Nazareth, but he wasn't. It wasn't his time. It wasn't just about sacrificing, though Christ was born for this. His sacrifice was purposeful, and he knew his purpose and his timing. As Jesus' followers, we're not rushing headlong into abuse or suffering for suffering's sake, but when the time comes to show true love and true friendship in a way that requires sacrifice, neither should we run from it. The opportunity to be inconvenienced for the sake of showing authentic and Christ-like love probably comes more often than we like to acknowledge. Our third lesson this morning is this. Living for Christ is a sacrifice but one willingly offered in love. Living for Christ is a sacrifice, but one willingly offered in love. Jesus continues, You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves because a master doesn't confide it in slaves. Now you are my friends, since I have told you everything the Father told me. You didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask using my name. This is my command. Love each other. Last week we heard about the father in the prodigal story. One son rebelled against the dad and had a broken relationship. The other son saw his relationship with his dad more like a transaction and though he was obedient, there wasn't a whole lot of affection. And here, Jesus talks about how these pieces of faithful obedience and warm affection join together. It's not manipulation. Jesus isn't holding out a condition to these men saying, you'd better obey or you're cut off from this. It's not sentimentality where Jesus is saying they should follow because of a pleasant emotional response. They've seen portions of Jesus' heart. They know his inherent value. This is God-made flesh. They've seen glimmers of his intentions, the restoration of a life-giving order extended to all of creation through the gift of this man. They've learned from, been stirred by, corrected and encouraged, broken and rebuilt, fed, held, saved and filled again and again because Jesus called them to follow. Theirs is not the work of a hired hand. Theirs is not the work of someone who has a Thursday night at camp cry. Theirs is the friendship of those who have been invited near to the very heart of the Creator. And that friendship will result in their lives having a greater impact than they could ever imagine as people who were regularly told that the greatest gift that they had to offer was providing comfort to the citizens of the occupying Roman Empire. Their friendship with Jesus will transform the world, and the biggest catalyst for that impact is love. Sacrificial love that Jesus is about to live out before them on a rugged cross. It would be reflected in their lives, that self-giving love. It would be reflected in the lives of people who follow Christ for 2,000 years. It's reflected in his followers today. Ask yourself, how is your friendship with Jesus? Have you seen the heart of Christ? Do you know his inherent value Have you witnessed the glimmers of his intentions, the restoration of a life-giving order throughout creation? 
Are you learning from, being stirred by, being corrected and encouraged, being broken and rebuilt, being fed, held, saved, and filled again and again, all because Jesus called you to friendship, because he called you to follow. This love, this friendship may cost us something, but when we know the heart of our God, there is nothing too great that could be asked of us in comparison to the glory revealed to us. There's nothing required of us that hasn't been provided for us by the generous hand of God. There is nothing Jesus will ask of you in friendship or in following that he will not walk with you to provide. We need to remain connected to Jesus to hear these opportunities, to see them. We trust that if God leads us to it, God will lead us through it. Jesus provides for our calling, and that self-giving expression of our love is a hallmark of Christian faith. Will we be known for that? Will we? Yes, if we allow ourselves to experience that deep and wonderful friendship of Jesus Christ. One of the ways that we renew that friendship is by remembering the incredible gift of Jesus. This morning we get to celebrate a love feast, and so I invite you to find something to eat and something to drink nearby. We're going to begin with a song of thanks. We'll confess. We'll have an opportunity to give our gratitude for something that God has done, and then we'll have an opportunity to sing thanks again. We begin with a familiar tune as we invite Christ to be present with us. Let's sing together. Be present at our table, Lord. Be here and everywhere adored. Your creatures bless and grant that we may feast in fellowship with Thee. Amen. Let's join together in the confession of sin. Almighty and all-loving God, through your Son, Jesus Christ, you have reconciled the world to yourself. Help us now to be reconciled with one another, so we can once again dwell in the warmth of your love. Inspire us with your Holy Spirit to put aside the covering of pride and to put on Christ, so we would forgive and be forgiven through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We hear in Scripture how, if we confess our sins, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And so, in the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. If you happen to have something with you to eat and drink, I'm going to invite you in a moment to share a word of thanks and then eat what you have to eat, drink what you have to drink. For my part this morning, I am grateful that today we get to hand out Bibles to third graders so that they might know the love of God through his word. I give my thanks for that, and now it's your turn. Let's share in this meal together.
Let's sing together our thanks once again. Father of earth and heaven, your hungry children fed, your grace now to our spirits given is true immortal bread. Let us and all our race in Jesus Christ to prove the sweetness of your saving grace, your satisfying love.